Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark chapter 2. And we're going to continue working our way through our series in Mark. I'll remind you as we uh, do that we have already seen Jesus in his power, in his loving authority in this gospel of Mark in the number of weeks that we have gathered together since January when we began this series. We saw Jesus' authority in teaching, Jesus' authority in power, uh, over disease, Jesus' authority and power and loving authority and healing and calling men to himself to follow him, uh, the, the first initial four disciples. And then a week or so ago, we saw that he calls even the most notorious of sinners, Levi, the tax collector, to come to himself. We also saw Jesus' authority over spiritual practices over ways to draw closer to him, including uh, several weeks ago talking about fasting. And we invited our congregation to participate together in that fasting as a tool on our tool belt to grow closer to the Lord. And today we see another spiritual practice, if you will, that Jesus has a loving authority over, and that is the practice of the Lord's Day, of the Sabbath, of a day of rest and worship set aside for him. And his purposes. With that in mind, I invite you to stand as I read aloud from Mark chapter 2. You read along silently with me. We'll start in verse 23 and go through Mark 3 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are we, look, Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any of the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray again for us. Oh, Father, we ask your special blessing on this time as we look at your word and ask, Lord, that you would transform and bless us as we understand and embrace more of what you call us to, understand more of the blessings of your truth, including this, your Lord's Day, the Sabbath. Help us in this time. Help me in this time, we pray 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a mom knocked on her son's door at about 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. It's Sunday, she said. So what? He called back. Well, it's time for you to go to church, son. I don't want to. Well, but you need to, son. Why do I need to go to church? Well, son, number one, you're 42 years old. And number two, you're the pastor. Well, let's face it, at different points throughout our lives, all of us have trouble really embracing Sunday, the Lord's Day, and getting out of it all that the Lord promises for us. But here's the awesome thing that God's Word reminds us of today. That the Lord's Day is not meant to be a burden for us, but a blessing, an opportunity to grow deeper in Him through rest and through worship. If we see it, in fact, as a burden, and all of us somewhere in our hearts probably have some reluctance sometimes to gather with God's people, to make it a priority to be together with God's people, to take a day of rest. So we're all there in some degree or another. But if we see it as a burden, or to the degree we see it as a burden, we're misunderstanding what the Lord's Day is about. And in fact, if we don't have zeal, for the Lord's Day, we could say that it's one of those blinking signals on the dashboard of our spiritual automobile to inform us that something's not quite right under the hood. So as we talk about this today, I want us to consider a couple of things. The big question in general is, what is each one of ours view of the Lord's Day? Of the Sabbath, and what does the Bible teach about it? We want to get to that. In particular, we want to ask two sort of parallel questions. Do we have sort of a deadening legalism about the Sabbath, like our friends the Pharisees in the passage? Or do we maybe have an equally deadening license about the Sabbath, uh, treating the Sabbath like it's any other day? And you may not think you quite line up with the Pharisees, but I think it can be a subtle thing for us. And I've been there as a pastor, as my little story revealed at the beginning, where you're in church, you've made the commitment to be there, you're going to church, so you've done the right spiritual thing, but don't actually meet the Lord during that time, aren't actually seeking and engaging with Him. It can be easy for us to fall prey to that. It can likewise be easy for us to have, as I said, a deadening license about the Lord's Day. You may say, well, I'm, you're preaching to the choir. We're all here today, Chris. It's easy to treat the Lord's Day as something, well, if I get the opportunity to go to church, I'll, I'll do it. If I get the opportunity to set aside a day for rest and really engage with the Lord, maybe I'll do it. But it's not a priority. It's not important for us. And so in all of this, what we're really asking, folks, is whether we're going to trust God with this day for the purposes he has to bless us. 
you want to follow along in your worship guide, back at the back of the worship guide is a section for notes. And you'll even see, I just stated it this way, the main idea that I think we would draw from not only Jesus' words here, but the full scope of the biblical teaching on the Lord's Day, is that God lovingly appoints the Sabbath for us. It's part of His love and grace to us. And it's for us. And so we ought to, we do well to embrace all the blessings included in it. Let's talk about what those are going to mean and uh, several points may be helpful for us. The first thing we want to talk about is a little bit of background, what it means for the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, to be established. And then we'll see the second part of the first point, that it gets extorted. The second thing we're going to talk about is the fact that the Sabbath should be and is enduring and enjoyed. It continues on today for us to have this day for the Lord's honor and glory. And it's one to be enjoyed, that we ought to delight in. And then the last thing, the third thing, is the Sabbath eternal. We're going to look there at how Jesus ultimately is the fulfillment of all the Sabbath. So let's talk about this, the Sabbath is established in the Old Testament. If you want to flip back in the back uh, or front part, I guess you'd say, of your Bible, Exodus 20 is one passage where we read the Ten Commandments. These are the Big Ten folks. And so, you know, it should draw our attention somewhat that the Ten Commandments do include, among other things, this honoring and recognizing of the Lord's Day. And then we'll look at Deuteronomy 5 in just a second, too. Let me read to you Exodus 20. Verse 8, just so we have our bearings here. This is uh, one of the commandments, the fourth one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who's living within your gates. And then listen to the reason that's given. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay? Sabbath tells us a little bit about the Lord's day and tells us it's rooted in the fact that God created in six days and rested on the seventh. If you, if you have your Bible handy, flip with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 5. I just want you to see one uh, thing here. Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, verse 12, is the start of the same commandment listed. It's interesting. It's an identical list of ten commandments. There's only one change in these two lists, and that is in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 5. It says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Okay? Follow with me here. This is the, uh, this is the technical part, and then we'll move on and get some practical application. What's being said here is this, that there's two uh, primary reasons for us to honor and recognize a day of rest and worship, and that is, one, we're made in the image of God, and God did it. Whether you hold that 24-hour days of creation or longer periods of time that God created in those six days and then rested. It was good enough for God, one way to put it. It ought to be good enough for us to rest. So that's part of it. 
But then what about these verses in Deuteronomy? Again, it's interesting. You have two identical lists of Ten Commandments. Those are the big things. Big Ten Commandments. Moses carrying those things down. Big Ten Commandment list, and you've got to change. Something is different between the two. This issue of the Israelites being set free from slavery. What is that about? How does that relate in to the Sabbath day? Well, I think it's just like this. At least part of it is that God wants us to have a regular reminder that we are not simply slaves in this life. We are not simply productivity units. In fact, I've got an excellent, uh, I think, helpful summary of this in your worship guide from Tim Keller. He says this, and I apologize that I quote him every other week, it seems, but he gets right to the core of things. He says, God sees the Sabbath day as a regular reenactment of emancipation from slavery. It's a reminder that he delivered the Israelites from a condition in which they weren't human beings, but simply a means to an end of a brick quota system of Pharaoh. And then listen to this. Anyone who is not disciplined in the Sabbath is a slave, even if this is self-imposed. What's he saying there? That the Sabbath is a declaration for us once a week to declare that we are not simply a productivity unit, whether it's on the home front or out in a particular workplace, that we are something more than that. And he goes on and says this, Your own heart, our materialistic culture, or an exploitive company, or all of them together, will be using you and abusing you if you don't have the ability to be disciplined in your practice of the Sabbath. Sabbath is therefore a declaration of freedom. It means you and I are not simply a cog in the machine. Do we believe that today, people of God? That's a big one. That's a big one. That sets up the background, if you will, If you look at Isaiah 58, and you can turn there with me as well. We'll continue our journey through some Old Testament passages. Isaiah 58, and I'll just point out to you in passing that a few weeks ago, when we looked at, we kind of took things out of order because of the missions conference and all that those things, but we looked at the passage right before our passage for today in Mark. And do you remember what the topic was in that one? Everybody's favorite one, fasting. We loved that message, didn't we? Fun. The uh, message that keeps on taking right there. We looked at that, and then today we look at the very next passage in Mark, which is about the Sabbath. And interestingly enough, Isaiah 58 has two main themes, where Isaiah is trying to help correct and straighten out the people of God. One of them is fasting, that we read a number of weeks ago, and the second one is the Sabbath day. And we see that having been given these commandments back around the year 1400 or so from Moses, now it's around the year 700, and in that time it has become a day that's meaningless. It doesn't really matter. It's not prioritized for rest or worship. And so Isaiah offers this promise in verse 13 of Isaiah 58, this invitation, if you will. And I hope, people of God, you will hear this today as an invitation to each one of us as well. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call instead the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not doing your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. 
and he will make you to ride on the heights of the earth. Just like we're promised by voluntarily uh, removing, we saw this a few weeks ago in fasting, voluntarily removing food from our lives to be increasing in our passion for the Lord, our hunger for God, so too we voluntarily step back from our work and engage in worship, and the expectancy should be that we can meet God in a deeper way. Most of us are saying, I don't maybe know what's wrong with my life. I don't know what things I'm struggling with. But, but most of us are saying, I want more of the Lord. I want to know him more deeply. This is a way to get at that, this day of worship and rest. Well, another 700 years later in the time of Jesus, the pendulum has swung over here from complete license with the Lord's day to what? Legalism at least in the case of the Pharisees and a lot of people that admired them. And so we turn back over to our Mark passage, and we see that Jesus is pointing out to them. They, they charge him with violating the Sabbath, and he says, well, you know, let's use one. You know, here's one example we might toss out. How about King David? I'm going to go King David. He's one that we might want to consider. He was able to do it for his purposes and special need that, that they had. He was able to to step around the Sabbath rules and regulations. And then he goes into this thing, and we'll come back to verse 27. He goes into this thing about the man being healed. Did y'all catch this at all, reading through the situation about the man being healed? What are the Pharisees upset with Jesus about? Breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus is saying, I I didn't really break it. The the Lord's day is, is for man, not the other way around. But that's what they're upset with him about. You notice verse 6 of chapter 3 in Mark? What do the Pharisees and other folks go to do after they get upset with what Jesus said? They go figure out a way to murder Jesus. The last time I checked, we don't have to go back and read those Exodus passages. Most of us probably know murder's in the list. It's the top ten. And so on the day of the Sabbath, they're working to plot the murder of the Lord Jesus. You get caught up in legalism. This is just a reminder, generally speaking. You get caught up in legalism. Uh, it throws everything out of whack. Everything gets turned upside down. You end up fighting what you should be supporting and supporting what you should be fighting. So it's a reminder, again, to guard our hearts against this kind of legalism that we see in the Pharisees. And the, the sum total of it is actually this verse 27 of chapter 2 that's sandwiched in between all of them. And this would be the thing I really want us to take away out of, out of all of this, uh, most clearly for all of us today. Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That takes us to our second point this morning. That the Sabbath is enduring. The Lord's day is enduring and it's to be enjoyed by God's people. I put on your uh, worship guide again uh, some statements from these, this Westminster Shorter Catechism and the Heidelberg. Don't be alarmed by the word catechism. These are just tools that people have used in the church throughout history to help remember what they believe. What, they've looked at the Bible and they've tried to use these tools to help them remember what they believe. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism, I just want you to see this. It says this. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified, kept holy? The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day 
even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in public and private exercise of worship, except so much as to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. Okay, you're getting a little worried now, aren't you? Here's some helpful news. Most of our pastors in our denomination, although we say we and we do commit to this Westminster Confession as a good summary of biblical teaching, uh, most of us say, you know what? That doesn't sound like what the Sabbath is supposed to be about completely. There's got to be a little more rest in there. There's got to be a little bit more delight in there than a full day of not even inching into any other thing besides worship all day. But I put that down there because I want you to see something that uh, we may kind of pat ourselves on the back because we make the time to get to church and so forth, and that's a good thing. I want you to see that whole cultures throughout history have had a very different definition. Now, we'll admit this is pretty stringent, probably overly so, but had a whole different concept of what the Lord's Day was to be about and held to this. If you want to get an example, you know, tune into that Chariots of Fire movie and watch Eric Little, and that'll be an example of a guy who was out of this tradition. I like a little bit better, and a lot of folks in our denomination do as well, the Heidelberg Catechism. This is from folks back in the 1500s, 1600s that wrote both of these. But listen to what it says, because I think it's helpful to kind of break it down. Heidelberg Catechism says the Sabbath is first to be dedicated that a ministry of the gospel and Christian education be maintained, that I diligently attend church, especially on the Lord's Day, to hear the Word of God, participate in the Holy Sacraments, call publicly upon the Lord. Basically saying, be involved with church, be involved with worship on the Lord's Day. And then it goes on and says, uh, as well, to serve those in need. We saw that. We'll talk about that in just a minute. The second thing it says, we'll get to this in our third point, that I cease from my evil works all the days of my life and allow the Lord to work in me through his spirit and thus begin the life in this life, the eternal Sabbath. What's that saying? That's saying, like we know we can all be guilty of, we walk in Sunday and we're one kind of person and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're a totally different kind of person. It's reminding us that we don't check off a box and say, yeah, I honored the Sabbath day, and then turn into somebody different during the rest of the week. It's meant to bleed into the whole rest of the week, to shape the week. In fact, if you notice in the Old Testament, I'll say this, they lead into the Lord's day. The week leads in, and the Lord's day was the end of the week. Did you ever notice that? We start our week with the Lord's Day. We don't think of it that way because Monday is a sign of, of what I'm talking about. We think of Monday, work, as the start of the week, but actually Sunday is the start of our week. We begin. They looked forward to what Christ was doing. We step out from what Christ has done and begin our week with the Lord's Day in worship. What does all of this mean for us? There's certainly some passages, and I included them on your uh, worship guide and Romans 14 and others that indicate that there is freedom for how we participate in the Lord's day. But even the freedom that's described in those passages is all about, again, taking what we know from this one day and carrying it into the rest of the week. What we're facing is the things of the week bashing in on this one day. And you say, well, Chris, you're 
You're just uh, worked up because you're a pastor, and it's kind of your day. This is your deal. It's a territorial war. That's what. That's all it is. And I say, absolutely, it's a territorial war. It's a territorial war for some, some fairly important things, I think. The worship of the living God in preparation from, for heaven. The reminder and resting that we're not just a cog in the machine, but we're creatures of God. And ultimately, it's a territorial world war for your soul and my soul. That's what the Lord's Day is about. So that's why, and you can see in your second point, a few things that we want to commit to, I think, on the Lord's Day. One is worship. Does it have to be at a set time? Is it horrible to worship on a Saturday night or on a Wednesday evening? No, that's not the point. But we generally gather on this Sunday, and it's been the practice of the church. So gathering together for worship, that's a blessing. Hopefully we're strengthened as we hear God's Word and gather with God's people. It's a day of rest as well. Have you ever thought about, these are these bizarre thoughts I have, maybe, maybe you all steer clear of them, but have you ever thought about how strange it is that we have to sleep every day? Anybody ever thought about that? We probably thought, hey, I'd like to be able to just stay up all the time so I could get more work done. But isn't it kind of bizarre that God designed us so that we can't make it? You get two or three days through without any sleep, you'll literally just start coming unglued. You know, it's kind of weird. You'd think you could just throw in some more food, throw in some more oxygen to the lungs, and the body would just keep on running. What's the deal? God designed us that way to have rest along the way, and, and yet we find it so peculiar that he would also have us to take time to set aside from the regular things we do and to rest in him. The rest is not just about getting some time to recuperate, though. It's really about our faith in the Lord. It's about drawing closer to him. Because, especially for those out in the workplace, if we say that we got to get some more work done on Sunday, we've got to work every single day, what we're ultimately saying is that the productivity in my life is up to me. I've got to be the one to produce it. And so the Lord loves us enough. He knows it's good for us to be in dependence upon him. But he tells us, take a day to rest. It'll be a day to build your trust in me that you don't have to go out and work. You can trust that I'm the one who ultimately provides. You are not the sum of your hands and the work you've produced. God's the provider. He's the one that does it. So it's designed to strengthen our faith, be a day of worship and rest. And then lastly, we certainly see that it's a day of mercy. Some of y'all work certainly in the medical profession, and there's needs on Sunday that need to be attended. Uh, some of us might have a neighbor or somebody fall into some difficulty or their car gets stuck. We go help them. It's not a, there's a higher law that sits above the Sabbath, and that is the law to love our neighbor as ourself, Jesus is saying. Let me read a couple things, and then I want to make uh, one last point. I'm reading here from a book called Death by Suburb. It's been a little while since I referenced this one. This, this is going to make its way into the life group circuit, I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. Uh, th this is a good book for uh, just about all of us. Maybe a few of us don't live in the suburbs, but a lot of us do. And I like what this guy has to say. He's a little unorthodox, a little rough around the edges, but that's, that's all right, too. He says this. He says, I think my suburb... As safe and religiously coded as it is, keeps me from Jesus. 
Or at least my suburb and the religion of the suburbs obscures the real Jesus. The living patterns of the good life, that's what he calls the suburban life, the good life affect me more than I know. Yet the same environmental factors that numb me to the things of God also hold out great promise. I don't need to escape the suburbs. I need to find Jesus here. And then he goes on to talk specifically about what we're talking about this morning. I thought it was interesting that out of his six or seven key things that he says we really ought to look at spiritually to help ourselves grow closer to the Lord in in the suburbs is this issue, or suburban life, is this issue of rest. He says this, and tell me if this doesn't resonate with many of us in here. He says, no one sets out to live a chaotic existence. It just sort of happens. One day you wake up and you hate your life. But it's another 15 years before the last kid will be gone. Sorry, kiddos. (laughs) He's being honest here. Another 10 years until retirement. Or another two years until you're done with your night school MBA. Or you and your spouse both both have successful careers and neither is about to let go, no matter the stress on the marriage or the kids. There seems to be no way out. Million are the reasons why the suburbs seem to produce a class of folks who feel trapped. Perhaps it's the unlimited opportunities or the unchecked narcissism, that's self-centeredness, or the stubborn refusal to be left behind. Or if you're working, working a couple of part-time jobs to make ends meet, survival itself creates the chaos, and you really are trapped. And he says this, As all Christian figures in history have said throughout the centuries, the busy life, for the most part, is an unreflective life. Many are the reasons, the author says, why I complain about the craziness of my life and still refuse to do anything about it. I know my life is out of control. I just need to do something about it. I feel trapped, though. You can't build a business on 40 hours a week, right? Because it's not only the actual work, it's the space it occupies in your mind. Like rain in the desert, thoughts of survival and success seep into every crack and soak deep into the subconscious. One last paragraph. The suburbs are all about saying yes to opportunity, quote-unquote, and the immortality symbols that it promises. Its deep current pulls under your good intentions. You can't simply start swimming to shore by throwing off an activity or two by saying no. He says, instead, we must learn to covet time, the fourth commandment, to pursue an affair with time, to fall in love with a day. Third thing, last thing I want us to talk about for just a moment, and really the culmination of all that we've been talking about this morning, is the fact that the Sabbath day is all about a symbol, a reminder of our our eternal rest. You remember that Matthew 11 passage that's probably familiar for some of us, that Jesus says, come unto me, what? All ye who are weak, weary, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Rest. 
we got the patterns of our life that we can choose to live or not live and embrace the Sabbath or not embrace the Sabbath. I'll tell you what, though. The Lord offers us this. The fulfillment of the Sabbath is the rest in Jesus. We just, answered, we just reminded ourselves of it in the membership questions. Did you hear the folks that were up here earlier affirming and others that have joined the church or members of the church who remember taking those vows that we receive and rest on Jesus alone as he's offered in the gospel. The Sabbath and this concept of resting and resting in God and trusting God with this Lord's Day, it's not some little rule that we can affix to our Christian life or not. The whole thing revolves around the idea that we ultimately rest from our working to secure salvation and rest in Jesus' work for us. That's the beauty of the Sabbath ultimately. Our man Getz reminds us of one other statement. And I invite us to think about how we view the Lord's Day in light of our kids. I'm coaching uh, six-year-old baseball, and they want to have practices on Sundays and games on Sundays, and I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. And some of the others of us have stresses and strains with work, and, and there's freedom in the gospel. There's freedom in the gospel. I want us to hear that. But at the same time, the Lord reminds us, verse 27 we saw, that the Sabbath was made for us. It's a benefit. It's a blessing. I invite you to lay hold of it. A one last uh, statement from Getz here at the end of this chapter I was reading to you earlier, if I can get there. He says this, The Sabbath won't come up and embrace you. You have to embrace the Sabbath. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we praise you that you love us enough to set aside for us and to call us to a day that will be refreshing to us in our worship of you, that will be refreshing to us in rest and remind us that we are not the end means of production, Lord, that you are the one that gives us all we have. Oh, Lord, we long to draw closer to you, but we find ourselves seeing the means that would bless us and draw us closer to you as a burden, as a frustration. Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts, change our lives, that you might be honored and glorified with your day and that we might be strengthened. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.